0: Hello and welcome to a new edition of What is Global Health podcast. Today, we will be speaking to Dr. Ashram Vassan, a physician and public health advocate. He not only serves as the executive director of the recently established Health Access Equity Unit in the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, but also works as a primary care physician at the Columbia University Medical Center slash New York Presbyterian Hospital, and a professor at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. Dr. Vassan has spent the last 15 years working to strengthen primary care and health equity for poor and vulnerable communities worldwide, with a range of organizations including Partners in Health and the World Health Organization. He now leads a new team at the city focused on bringing the best of what we know about primary health care delivery to bear the problems of the most vulnerable and highest need New Yorkers. As the current executive director of the recently established Health Access Equity Unit in the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, can you explain the significance of the creation of such a program for the advocacy of public health, and what are your goals for this program?
1: Our new unit in the in the, the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene is focused on care and specifically primary care for the most vulnerable among us. Um, that means populations living in deep poverty. That means populations living. Uh, marginalized from the rest of society, that means populations from specific vulnerable groups like um, immigrants, LGBTQ, uh, people with involvement in the justice system, because often these people are the same that have the worst health statistics because of a variety of the social pressures and structural uh, impacts of their lives, essentially. What we wanted to do in the Department of Health was twofold. One is to um, take all of this momentum around Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act and health care reform in general and try to drill down specific models of care and specific services to target these populations, those in most need. What's also interesting about this is that those in most need are often the same that use the most health care because they get the sickest, they wait the longest to uh, seek care, Um, and they have the most needs, both medical and non-medical, socially. We wanted to create a specific unit which will build out into a bureau over time. A bureau is kind of the core functional unit of the health department. and to, to focus effort on designing specific models of care for these population groups. Our specific population group of interest to start is what we call the justice involved within the community. So these are people who formerly were incarcerated, formerly uh, even detained, um, you know, have some involvement with, with the justice system. Why are we interested specifically in those people? Because one, we obviously have an epidemic of mass incarceration in this country. 2.3 million people are incarcerated, uh, more than any other country in the world. And we know that people who are incarcerated have much worse health. So incarceration itself is bad for your health. we know that in the first two weeks after leaving prison or jail, the formerly incarcerated have a 13 times, almost 13 times increased risk of death. That's crazy. That's, that's incredibly hard. Uh Unacceptable. And largely that's due to drug overdose and a range of other problems. In the first year, however, um, they have a four times increased risk of death. So... And that's interesting because, yes, drugs and other issues are at hand, but also chronic diseases like heart disease is the second leading cause of death in the first year. So what do we do about that? Uh, Well, we believe in the health department that a strong primary care system, a strong system that captures people into long-term, sustainable services, will help deal with their myriad issues, and also prevent un- prevent unnecessary deaths and unnecessary disease. And in the long term, also reduce costs to the system. So our goal in the Health Access Equity Unit is to build out into a robust program that addresses the specific needs within primary healthcare of the justice involved and the range of other vulnerable groups over time through primary healthcare.
0: You spoke about how vulnerable populations have the worst health statistics and end up requiring the most health care. The phrase welfare state is often used negatively in relation to governmental money spent on taking care of those most in need. And many citizens have complained about excess government intervention and the taxes required to compensate for such help. Do you have a response to these criticisms?
1: Well, Let's be clear. We put money into treating a problem that's Imminently preventable. What do I mean by that? Healthcare, health is a human right. Healthcare as a part of health should be a human right. And public financing of healthcare should be the default. And there's innumerable data that show long term that's the most sustainable way. Currently, we have a fragmented healthcare system where we have a range of public and private actors with different motives, different objectives. And as long as we have that system, we will continue to look at our expenditures on specific groups, on welfare, on care for the most vulnerable as additional, instead of seeing it as integral to our tax base, to our to our contribution to a better society, um, that's the fundamental issue. The the truth is also that these particular subpopulations, whether it's justice involved or otherwise, cost us a lot. And whether we think we're paying out of our pockets or not, it's a cost. It's a cost to incarcerate them, it's a cost to have them visit ERs on a regular basis to get care instead of primary care, it's a cost to have them hospitalized unnecessarily. And that's actually a bigger cost than it would be to invest in primary care and invest in basic social services for them in the long run. The challenge is in the short run, yes, it costs more money. So how do we get through that short run period of more expense to get to a longer run period of sustainability? And that's what Obamacare is trying to do and what, what social service reform is trying to do as well.
0: You have experience with international healthcare systems with your research and work in global health. How do the public issues abroad among different nations compare with the issues in the United States?
1: They're very, very, very similar and that's part of why I was called by the Commissioner to take this post. Um, Primary health care systems don't function well anywhere. The difference is that anywhere that's in the low low and middle income countries. The reason is that it's the first thing to get underinvested. The first thing that's underinvested is the first thing that's neglected in favor of advanced hospital care treatment. We invest way more into treatment and health care versus prevention and health more broadly. And primary health care is the front line of health, not just health care. And the models of care in response to that underinvestment that have been uh, piloted, tested, proven in developing countries are imminently applicable here. What am I talking about? I'm thinking of things like community health workers for... uh, chronic conditions I'm thinking of uh, you know team based care and task shifting shifting of tasks away from physicians towards non physician providers you know nurses paramedical professionals assistants uh, these are critical principles that have been proven over and over again in developing world settings but we have yet to fully integrate them into our own settings and so Much of what I'm going to be doing is trying to build those links. The issues are fundamentally the same. The poorest among us need the most help and the systems we build are not tailored to meet their needs. So how do we meet their needs? How do we design systems? How do we design design models of care that actually address the needs for the most vulnerable among us?
0: In your opinion, what role do the government and public institutions play in building the backdrop for the development of public and global health?
1: It goes back to the human rights lens again. The ultimate protector and promoter of social and economic rights, let alone political rights, is the government. The only actor in our space that's accountable to everybody is the government. So the private sector can show us a lot of good things. It can provide innovative models, it can provide good ideas, new technologies, a whole range of things can come out of the private sector, but ultimately, the institution that's responsible for scaling that for everybody is the government. And it will never be anyone else, because no one's got that mandate, you know? So the government has to be the backbone of any well-functioning healthcare system. that's proven time and again. I mean, the best healthcare systems in the world come out of Northern, uh, Northern Europe and Western Europe and I guess East Asia, Northern Asia, and Why do they get the best healthcare? Because they invest the most. And the state plays a really strong regulatory and programmatic role.
0: Relevant to your viewpoint on the relationship between government and public health, a dramatic political upheaval has swept our nation and citizens with the recent 2016 governmental elections. How do you see the political climate and the future government affecting the public health and global health sector in the coming years?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I think the implications of this are have the potential to be incredibly far-reaching and, and powerful in and not in the best ways. The Affordable Care Act was the first step to trying to shift our health care system away from one that's based entirely on fee for service, commoditization of health towards one that's based on value, that's based on producing and protecting health, not just health not just delivering health care. Essentially, transitioning from a health care system to a health system. While it has its issues, the Affordable Care Act, it has its problems and there are issues with premiums and, and coverage and availability and accessibility, it's the first step towards shifting a very complicated system right? with a myriad actors. Remember that the Affordable Care Act also really, in terms of the delivery model, can only really control the government part of health Medicare and Medicaid. Right? So, that's what it's trying, it's trying to use Medicare and Medicaid as a catalyst for reforming the entire system. But the system is made up of a whole range of other private providers, private actors, insurance companies, so on so forth. So, with the new administration, I think it's yet to be seen, but if they're taught, if they plan to follow through with their threats of repealing, they're going to have to replace it with something that doesn't do damage to the gains that have already been made. and what, what. Otherwise, they're going to own something really bad and something that makes Americans sicker. And I don't think anyone wants that. But it's a, it's a, it's an uncertain time. I mean, I think certainly the potential is there for them to reverse the act and to, or to simply delay its implementation or change. They've got to figure out something to replace it with that's as good or better. And that's their, that's their mandate now. And, and you know, I, I hope they can. Globally, this changes a lot as well. I mean, We've always thought, in this country, of global health as, a, as one arm of our diplomatic relations, and particularly USAID, has, you know, it's run out of the State Department and it's always been an extension of our, our foreign policy. If we are going to see a much more protectionist, nationalist, America-first ideology, what are the potential implications on global funding in general, let alone global health funding. Global health funding already is lower down on the totem pole than foreign assistance in general. So, what are we, and we already give much less than we used to. So what are we going to do? What's going to happen? I don't, I don't know. Okay.
0: You mentioned the imperfections of the Affordable Care Act. If you could change or adjust anything in the act yourself, what would be some suggestions you have?
1: I don't know that it could have been written so much better. I think the fundamental constraint is the fact that it only really has control over Medicare and Medicaid, and it's trying to use those public insurers as a pull mechanism to draw in the private insurers into the market, and the private insurers are basically saying, yeah, I tried it, but no thanks, so they're leaving because it's too expensive, it's too expensive for them to keep up these plans, And not enough people are buying them or signing up for them. Um, So that's one issue. I think another issue is in the terms of redesigning care. I think the fundamental error of more generally our health system is that we, the center of the universe is the hospital and uh, the facilities. But increasingly we are expecting hospitals and facilities to clinics to have understanding and insight into the social determinants of health. Housing, nutrition, public safety, employment. And hospitals are just not capable or prepared or experienced in doing this sort of thing. So funneling the money of the Affordable Care Act, or at least the money attributable or the money allocated towards redesigning care, funneling that towards hospitals may have been a real critical error because you're asking institutions who have no experience in social determinants of health to all of a sudden become experts in it, and not just experts, but only for a subset of their population that get Medicare and Medicaid. It's a really complex system. Maybe if you had given money to... But there's other difficulties there. If you give money to the departments of health, or if you give money to other agencies that have a better, wider understanding of health and public health, maybe we could have worked with hospitals in that way to sort of come up with some standards. As it is now, they're all kind of scrambling to figure it out on their own. So, it's a challenging environment. I think there are a couple, that's just a couple of things, but, but, Overall it was a good good first step. I mean they they did what they could and the main thing was to get forty million people who weren't covered covered. And they've done that's down to ten million people.
0: Public health programs in government are such large scale efforts, especially in the case of improving international health care. So many different groups and ideas are involved, as in the instance of the implementation of Affordable Care Act and its consequential partisan opinions. How do you get your own voice heard?
1: I think it's important to a be engaged, work, be out there in the system. It's hard to talk about healthcare if you're not a part of healthcare. It, that's not to say you have to be a practitioner, but just be involved, be be aware, be committed. Uh, You know, getting your voice heard, it's a complicated thing, but getting your voice heard and not being really fully engaged in the system is even harder. So if you're interested in working on these things, work on it. Do research, do care, do all of the above, work in policy, keep pushing. And over time, you know, your voice will become stronger and clearer and you can advocate for the things that you believe in once you have a clear idea of what you believe in. That's what I would say to sort of students. More generally, I think it's a crowded field and you have to have clarity of vision, clarity of purpose in order for people to listen. And then finally, at the end of the day, people will look at you based on the work you do. Yeah, I know we live in like an era of social media where you can just kind of say whatever you want, but at the end of the day, in the long term, you're judged by what you do. And what you work on, what you build, what you help change. And so I would encourage everyone who's interested in getting their voice heard to play the short and the long game, so to speak. Yes, say what you want, use, use the tools at your disposal to get your voice out there, but also focus on what you're actually doing long term so that you've got a good basis of credibility and, active, and uh, agency.
0: You are a very active public health advocate and a major influence in that sector of medicine. Why have you chosen to continue practicing as a physician?
1: I I like seeing patients. I love my patients. I love interacting with people. I think most of my understanding of public health starts with how it affects people. And my patients are a great window into how systems can be really effective or not effective. So when I see you know I see my patients for let's say half an hour so what I spend most of my time thinking about is what happens to them for the 23 hours and 33 30 minutes that they're not in my office what is the world they live in what are they exposed to and without that view from the patient side of things I don't think I would have a good understanding of what it's like to actually try to protect your health and improve your health in a City like ours, or just more generally in the world. I think having that basis of patient care really gives me a solid understanding of the impact of policy and programming on people.
0: There are arguments for different approaches to affecting widespread change. The public health approach can begin with individual patients or from overarching systems in action. What is your opinion on how to address public health issues?
1: We're all trying to create programs that help people and that positively impact people's lives. And unless you start with a good understanding of what people's lives are like it's a hard thing to do. It's hard to understand how your programs are doing well and not doing well. so yes, I think I think I mean I think it's not one or the other. There isn't a need for grassroots versus something else. It's and. We need grassroots. We need patients and provider advocates to kind of come to the forefront in public health conversations and policy conversations. We also need to have really solid policy experts who understand how to take good ideas and turn them into effective policy. So, you know, it's an and, it's an and issue and not so much a a uh, core issue and i would also say in general public health is not i love public health and i've been committed to it for several decades but for two decades but it's um it's not anyone's top <laughs> top priority right it, we're always struggling against a whole range of other sectors to get our Voice her. So the, we need a bigger umbrella. We need to bring people into the fold. You know. So the more, the merrier. The more that can contribute to good public health, the better. The better we'll all be.